Welcome to In the Elements. Becky DePodwin. And I'm Dakota Smith. This episode, we're talking about a prevalent issue in meteorology, verbal harassment. The job of a meteorologist is a very public one, and it's one that comes with a ton of viewer comments. The good, the bad, and the downright terrible. We've decided to shine a light on this issue, hoping to give a new perspective to the public while offering support to our fellow meteorologists. We spoke with a few on-air broadcasters who asked that their comments remain anonymous for fear of angering the parent company that their station is owned by. There was concern that with the current climate of Trump and other politicians being accused of sexual harassment, their comments could be construed as political. Part of me understands why they're doing this, but the other part of me thinks this is terrible, crazy, unreal. Um, that they're being censored and they're not able to openly discuss the kinds of harassment they have to deal with a nearly daily basis, you'd think they would want to support their staff. And I I think the station managers do, but they're concerned with the overall parent company that owns these smaller stations. Um, And it it is pretty unfortunate. Let's just say some of the comments involved detailed plans of kidnapping, crude comments on appearance, or even insulting remarks from other females about their clothing choice that day. Luckily, we did talk to a few folks that were permitted to speak freely. Uh, We talked to Jackie Lair, an on-air meteorologist who has dealt with her fair share of harassment, but had to get the police involved after one viewer went way too far. We'll also be joined by Dennis Mercero, a weather and climate writer who has had a run-in or two with the chemtrail trolls of the internet. But first, I was hoping to talk about our experiences. Dakota, do you have experience with any online harassment? Not really. I've had a few people say something weird or um, I've I've gotten like one death threat ever. And, you know, I didn't take it seriously at all because it was a troll. And um, so, no, I haven't really dealt with it. I have a lot of friends, though, in the, the TV industry, the operational industry, the kind of public um, area where, where a lot of people are seeing your forecast and seeing you communicate. And my goodness, the things I've seen sent to them is terrifying, is horrible. And I I have no idea how they deal with it every day. I think it would probably get to me at some point. Um, so I, I applaud them for, you know, continuing to do what they do despite the constant attacks and harassment that they that they get. Becky, you have had in the past kind of a more public role in meteorology professionally. Have have you gotten any sort of attacks? And if so, what were they like? Uh, I've had a few really interesting people message me. Uh, I had a guy back when I was living in Wichita who sort of became obsessed uh, via Twitter. And long story short, uh, I ended up blocking him. And he then went around and messaged several people telling me, telling these people that I had killed myself. What? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I received messages from these people being like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. What? And they're like, yeah, this guy is saying that you, you killed yourself. And I'm like, holy, what? Uh, So that was my first instance with trying to take uh, action with the police uh, and finding out that pretty much no one will do anything when it's 
on the internet and it's in a different state. Uh, so that was a little frustrating. I'm not, I'm not in the public spotlight the way broadcasters are, so I really don't get a whole lot. So with this episode, we're hoping to bring this to light and share with meteorologists that they're not alone. And hopefully if we talk about it and people share their true feelings, they will, people will realize that their, their comments have consequences. Their comments are, can be hurtful and it's a real person that you see, you know, on TV or on a, a Twitter feed. It, we're, we're real people. We read the things that you say to us and it's, you know, you don't gain anything by it. What, what do people gain by saying nasty things to people, you know, online? Becky and I were lucky enough to be joined by Dennis Mercero, a favorite follow of mine on Twitter. Give him a follow at WXDAM. Dennis is a weather and climate writer, one of the best, formerly of the vein over at Gawker. Dennis joined us for a conversation on hate mail, verbal harassment, online trolls, how he deals with it. Let's listen in. I started out um, during the horrible tornado outbreaks in 2011. I started doing live blogs. Um, I would just start a, a post and explain what was going to happen that day, and I would update as the day went on, posting radar images and warnings for people who were in the harm's way. And people really liked it. My writing started to get noticed, and I started to build an audience, and with that audience came the harassment. So it was it was very strange to get so much support and then so much hatred in, in the same comment section. It was weird. What would they say? What were what were the, some of the comments that were negative? Um, a lot of it was, um, see, Daily Coast attracts a lot of uh, very, uh, I don't want to say heavy activists, but they're very energized about what they believe in. And a lot of the people who were attracted to my writing were really into climate change. And they were very upset that I was talking about uh, towns that were being destroyed instead of, you know, tornadoes in 50 years. Yeah, they were just upset that I wasn't talking about climate change enough. And that was the first time I got a death threat, actually. I wrote a post that said, um, we should focus on the tornadoes that are happening now instead of saying that it's going to be like this from now on. You know, we'll have a bad tornado outbreak every spring. You know, we're going to have 2,000 tornadoes from here on out every year. It's going to be the worst ever. You know, we should probably focus on the people who are losing their homes right now and talk about that later. I mean, I didn't mean to... I probably came off a little bit stronger than I wanted to, but the people who didn't like that came back and said stuff like, I hope you die of cancer. How dare you? It was really jarring stuff. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but that, that thickened my skin to talk about the conspiracy theories and to get into some of the heavier stuff once I got to Gawker. So, so that was the beginning. Gawker was kind of, kind of the middle part. So, what right, yeah. that was really where you kicked off, starting a lot about talking a lot about chemtrails and. Yes. Oh, that's my favorite topic. Let's... <laughs> chemtrails. <laughs> Let's delve into that. Yeah. Every time my mom sees a condensation trail up in the sky, she'll text me and say, "Get my vinegar." So it, it, it has a. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's the chemtrail stuff and the conspiracy theories also started back at the political site. There was a very earnest individual who used to like writing about radar anomalies. She would say that any little blip or glitch in the radar image was proof that the weather service was using the Doppler weather radar to start thunderstorms and to spin them up and to trigger disasters. And 
She also used to say that harp up in Alaska was used by the government to control the weather, and that's what got me into talking about the chemtrails. And then when I got over to Gawker, I had a huge audience to be able to talk about this kind of stuff, and I just unloaded. I would debunk chemtrails any chance I got. Um, anytime I saw something in the news, you know, the, the, the lady standing in her backyard squirting vinegar up at the sky and saying, see, look, it's dissipating the clouds. Gawker had enough of a reach that my posts would be among the first you'd get if you googled chemtrails or conspiracy theories or anything like that. So I was getting a lot of people who were googling this stuff to try to justify their rantings on Twitter and Facebook. And then when they didn't see that on my post, they would take it out on me on Twitter and my email. What were the most typical comments that you would receive? Just your average trolls that weren't original? I am a government shill. That was the most common one that I would get. Somebody would accuse me of being on the government payroll, that I benefited from people believing the lying meteorologists instead of what's really happening. You know, just all sorts of weird little things like that. But the gov that I'm on the government payroll, that was the big one. And what was... What was probably the worst comment that you received when you were writing for Gawker? Usually, I have a pretty thick skin when it comes to hate mail, but I think the worst of them are when they get personal. And I, it's awful because you can tell that they know you, and you know who they are. And it's somebody I follow and interact with on Twitter or Facebook or sometimes even my own family members. Uh, they know me, and they know my backstory, and they use that as a weapon against me. And that's when it starts to sting a little bit because I'll, I'll sit there and screenshot the chemtrail emails I get and make fun of them on Twitter all night. But when, you know, somebody says, you know, I'm glad you can't find a job or I hope you die of cancer or you dropped out of college, which isn't true, by the way, but still, you know, that, that, that stuff does get to me. Yeah. I can definitely see how the personal aspect would, would get under your skin a lot more. Yeah. I was going to comment here. Uh, have you ever thought about like what is going through these people's heads and like why they might have this motivation to be so negative and, you know, try to hurt someone's feelings like that? Uh, that's a really good question. And it's something I think about every time I get a hate, you know, a hateful email or an angry tweet. Um, I think a lot of it, well, at least when it comes to conspiracy theories, is that people don't like to be told that they're wrong and they, they're desperate to confirm their own worldviews. And I'm out there very loudly saying that they're wrong and they can't handle that. And so they, they, they start up with the nasty attacks saying, oh, you know, you're a shill, you're an idiot, I hope you die. Stuff like that, you know, the, the usual. You stopped writing for The Vein a year, two years ago, but it was... It was it was November of 2015, yeah. Okay, so it was well before Trump was elected, but it was right around that time that all that was happening. Do you feel like things would have gotten considerably worse given the way our political climate has changed in the last couple of years? And the whole like fake news, all of that? Like, Oh yeah, I think if, if, if I still had as big of an audience as I did at Gawker, I think it definitely would have gotten worse. Because Gawker was taken down by a guy named Peter Thiel, who actually wound up working closely with Trump. And it was a frequent source of scape, not scapegoating, but it was a frequent target for criticism from a lot of people in that, 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 admin, that orbit. And I think a lot of people who hate Gawker would have been attracted to the vein had they been able to continue through what we're living through now. So the hate would have gotten worse, yeah. 
one of my favorite things that people tried to use to discredit my my writing online was coming up with the conspiracy theory that I'm not an actual person. I am a computer algorithm created by the FBI to try to infiltrate political circles. And these people, I thought they were joking at first just to get to me, but they actually believed it. And I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, what? And they, they used the... They used the idea that I was too, I was too everywhere. I, I was, I commented on too many posts. I was on too many social media platforms to be a real person. It was just such a weird, weird, who has time for that? You know, who has, who sits there and thinks this stuff up? If you're a robot, the technology has really gotten uh, <laughs> better because... <laughs> You sound like a person. Yes, we worked out the kinks before I plugged <laughs> in the microphone. That is absolutely bizarre. I don't even know how you were like to respond to that. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much, yeah, the only thing I could respond is uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty real. At a certain point, and I couldn't tell you exactly when it was, but you started being more open about mental health and depression and stuff like that. And I absolutely applaud you for, for doing that and talking about it. And you're one of the, the voices that is out there and is so important. Um, did you see any kind of increase in people speaking negatively to you? Did they use that against you at that point in time after you were open about it on social media? See, the weird thing, I can't really get a read on that because the 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 depression really got bad after I lost the vein because that was, you know, I was so heavily invested in that website and then one day I just get a call and say, hey, you're done, bye. And it's like, okay. And I went in, that's when my depression started to get really bad. And so I can't really tell if people started using my depression against me um, because I lost that platform and I lost the visibility. So I wasn't getting nearly as much hate mail, <clears throat> excuse me, hate mail once the site shut down. But people have used it against me. Um, I got an email a couple of weeks ago, actually, from someone who was very obviously at least following uh, Weather Twitter and the weather community, um, they said that they were glad that I couldn't find a job because it gave them hope for the future of meteor, uh, future of meteorology, um, that nobody in the industry would hire me and that they were, they talked about my depression a little bit and yeah, that was, that one really stung. And I was like, okay, I wish I knew who sent that, but at the same time, I don't, if that makes any sense. What advice do you have for people on handling harassment and trolls? And, you know, what, what have you found is the best method to get them to, to back off? A lot of what works for me is just laughing at it because some of most of it's so silly. You know, the people who call me the government shill or say, oh, I hope you die or, you know, you're, you're covering up the truth and killing people. You know, you're an idiot. You know, that kind of stuff, it's just, it's silly to me. And I, I find that laughing at it helps. Um, when it comes to the really deeply personal stuff, um, I think we all handle that differently. I mean, some of it stings, and I talk about it, you know, I'll screenshot an email and post it on Twitter and say, you know, sign your name to this next time. I think the best way to handle that is to just find support, you know. For every awful email you get, you have so many friends and family members who are willing to support you and help you out and just give you a kind word of encouragement. And if you seek that out, that'll, that it, it helps me. And I think it'll help other people too. 
I can can I flip this question on its head here? What what advice would you give to someone that is actively harassing you or trolling you? If if you could say like one thing to them to try to change their actions or change how they think, what would you say to them? Would you say this to me in person? Would you walk up to me on the street and look at me in the face and say, you know, any of the hurtful things that you're try or trying to say to me? You know, would you say this to your grandmother if you could let your parents or your grandparents or, you know, your significant other, your kids see the emails that you're sending out? Would you still send them? And if not, think about why. A female broadcast met that I follow tweeted this earlier today. I am a real meteorologist, a scientist, a woman, hashtag more than a babe. I responded with, I don't know what this is in reference to, but yes, preach, hashtag women in STEM, hashtag women in science. She then responded and explained that it was part of a movement to take a stand against a babe bracket being done by a radio station in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yes, a babe bracket is exactly what it sounds like, objectifying and judging on-air meteorologists, broadcasters, and journalists based solely on their appearance, and then rating them against each other. It's disgusting, disheartening, and honestly, flat-out unacceptable that these kinds of things still happen. But it's also a classic example of exactly the kind of harassment that on-air female meteorologists face on a daily basis. I cannot believe a contest, and I'm using air quotes, by the way, a contest like this is a thing. You know, I guess part of me isn't really surprised, but it's just so upsetting. And this movement, the the way everyone responded was was amazing. The reason for it was terrible, but the response was amazing. And, you know, you and I have been planning this episode for quite some time now, I think a few months before this kind of whole thing came about. But it fits in perfectly with what we're talking about, unfortunately. Uh, about two years ago, I was talking with Jackie Lair on the Weather Junkies podcast. Jackie's a friend of mine. She's an on-air meteorologist. I met her in undergrad. And on the show, we are talking about the quirks of being a broadcast meteorologist. We talked about some of the typical stuff, funny live slip-ups, the odd hours, but eventually we ended up talking about something much more serious, and that was her experience with verbal harassment. So when you and I were talking about doing this episode, she was an obvious choice to come on. Like all meteorologists, Jackie deals with her fair share of odd comments and interactions. There was a couple, this is back when I worked in uh, South Bend, Indiana, and there was this couple, they had made bets every single day of what blazer I would be wearing. And they said that um, I had worn the same blazer, I guess, like three days in a row. And it, it looked, for me, it looked the best on the air, but to them, they said that it was ill-fitting and all that. But I wanted to comment back and just say, like, you're welcome for winning that particular bet since I wore the one that he said I was going to wear. But uh, I always try to look at the positive aspects of everything. But at that point in my life, I, w- I was just I was stunned by that personal message. And I was just I was so mad. Sometimes these people just write instantaneously how they're feeling behind the keyboard without actually thinking of the people's feelings. But then looking back in retrospect, when I see all these different comments, like I keep most of the comments from my recent job, um, I keep all of them, I screenshot them. So that's on my work phone that I keep all of those because people can send that feedback in 
through email or through messages or through Twitter. I try to keep all of them, <laughs> but I also keep the positive ones too, uh, just to see how far I've come. Because ultimately, the viewers are the ones that are tuning in. They're the ones that are keeping your station um, alive, to put it bluntly. Um, they're the ones that you have to adhere to because they're the ones that are going to be watching. So I, I try to take what they're saying and try to incorporate that into my everyday life. But if they're attacking the way I look, if they're attacking the way I talk, then that's, that's completely different. That's not nor here nor there. If they're saying different things about how I'm forecasting, then I will kind of adhere to that. Because if they think that I'm going way too fast, if they think that it wasn't the right forecast, if they think that I did something wrong with the graphics, or if I spelled something wrong, then obviously I would adhere to that. Um, but if they're attacking my appearance and attacking the way I talk, then that's completely different than the forecast, <laughs> put it that way. Everyone is insulted at some point in their life, whether it's online or in person, but meteorologists are in the spotlight and get it continuously. Unfortunately, you quickly have to develop a way to internally handle these types of interactions, or else it'll get to you. Oh yeah, definitely kill them with kindness, because that's the only thing you really can do in that situation, because you don't want to be looking, because you can take different things on Twitter, on Facebook, um, in a certain way. It could be sarcastic, it could be something different. The person may have just had a bad day. Jumping into it, going in head first, I would, I would hope that they have a thick skin, they are comfortable in their own body, that they know that they are the best at what they do. Just keep that positive mindset. And I know that some days are going to be better than others in terms of people commenting, but also, I've noticed that some days people don't comment, and I almost feel like, are people even watching? And some of those days can be even more depressing than when people are actually watching and commenting. So it just it just depends on what day it is, and take it day by day. That's, that's my main advice for anyone getting into this business. But some of these interactions went beyond the internet to another terrible level. Stalker1, um, he originally messaged me through my work Facebook page. And he said, is this the real Jackie Lair? And I said, yes, this is. And I originally typed back that because I didn't want him to think that there's any other Jackie Layers out there, um, meteorologists that are trying to be me on the internet. So that's all I wrote. And I kept it at that. But then he kept writing back these, it seemed like he wanted to meet up with me and all these other different poems he would write to me. Um, and uh, very, very odd, I should put it, and very intimate things in, from his life. So um, I, I definitely had to get the police involved once he came to the station one weekend when I was working. And uh, he was knocking on the door trying to get into the station. And he was knocking on the employee door. So um, the producer had to call the police to try to get him away because I did not invite him to the station. I never had met him before. And I didn't really want anything to do with him because that's a little scary that you don't know people's intentions. You don't know what's going on in their life. Uh, so 
the police came and they told him to get off the property. After that, they told me that I should get a uh, uh, fill out one of the documents down at the courthouse to get a restraining order. So once I did that, he was not able to come back to the station. Because if you were to come back to the station when I'm working, then um, he would be arrested on the spot. I feel like I am efficient in doing restraining orders now. Going into this interview, I knew about Jackie Stalker. We talked about it on The Weather Junkies. But I had no idea it happened again. And it was even more extreme. Just a forewarning, some of the content ahead is pretty disturbing. Stalker 2 didn't come about until my last month at my last station. But July 4th of 2016, um, that's when we, uh, when I was looking up certain things because there he had called the station and had said that I was supposed to meet him at a baseball game at one of the, the local uh I think triple A teams that played there in South Bend. And um, so my boyfriend who I had met at my old station, uh, he was a producer that day and he had, he was overhearing um, the assignment desk talking to him. And so my boyfriend thought that I was trying to invite one of these viewers out to the baseball game. Meanwhile, both my boyfriend and I were at a baseball game recently and so this really scared me that now I have to like be paranoid and watch my back whenever I go out somewhere because I felt like this person was stalking me, to put it bluntly, out at the baseball game when I was there with my boyfriend. So because I post these pictures on Twitter saying like, great time at um, the, the baseball game with my boyfriend, like stuff like that. So I post that afterwards. So meanwhile, he left a message for me and he told um, the assignment desk that I would understand what these, this three letter, three letter, three number code that he gave them. And it was running through my mind on July 4th because he had previously called the station. So I was just Googling this number because I'm like, I, I don't understand what he's trying to get to. And as I was Googling this, the only thing that came up was this Bible verse. Um, and it kept coming up. And I'm just like, what is going on? And it said, the Bible verse was prepare to meet your maker. That was the only that was the only thing that these numbers represented. So I was getting the chills as I was like, looking this up. So I was kept in the back of my mind. Meanwhile, he tries to keep calling the station and looking for me, looking for me, looking for me. Uh, and this goes on for another week or so. But it wasn't until he tried to come to the station. Um, it was also during a newscast, and I was working on the weekend. And so we always advertise what time we're on on the weekends. A lot of people know when we are on. And on the weekends, we don't have anyone at the front desk. So it's all black at the front desk, but it's locked. So we have pretty good security locked doors. So the guy tries to ring the doorbell when we're all during when we're working. And one of my coworkers, he had seen the guy's face. So he knows what he looks like. And um, so he tells me, he's like, I'm pretty sure that's the guy who keeps calling uh, because um, he had left the flowers. <laughs> so yeah, he brought flowers to the station, left them at the front door. And so uh, my coworkers like, I'm, this is pretty scary that someone's coming on a weekend when no one's at the front desk and, and all that's 
and all that. And being that I was on the air, I couldn't really see him. I didn't know what was going on. So then they called the police to report it because it was getting a little freaky uh, with all the different calls that he was saying that um, he, that God is talking to him, that he, he is now God, stuff like that. So then all that, putting that together, I was like, okay, that three letter code now definitely, or three number code is definitely what he's trying to get to is that he, that he is his own God that prepare to meet your maker something like that. So then get the restraining order eventually because my parents, they actually Googled this guy's name and they found out all this information about him that he was charged and arrested for um, stockpiling ammunition at his house. But this was, this was a couple of years earlier that there was also um, his, one of his roommates was bludgeoned to death in his house while he was sleeping in the next room, but he couldn't hear anything because he had a fan on. Um, so there, I mean, this is all public information that anyone could see this. And um, I guess one of his um, employees, because he owns his own moving company, that one of his employees, I think, was charged for that crime. So my station also had hired a, um, a private investigator to look into this guy and they had presented like all this information to me too. And they seriously scared the bejesus out of me basically um, for lack of a better term, because the private investigator had found out all this information about him and said that he, he could do really anything. And I just didn't really feel protected until they actually hired 24 seven security at my old station. So they had to do that for an entire month. So my last month there, and then they had to do it the remaining month because then he had kept calling the station and threatening the entire station as opposed to just me. But it was a very weird time because I, the private investigator was just like, always watch your back, always have someone with you at all times. Um, make sure to go a different way home whenever you're heading home so that no one's following you. And it just made me paranoid for the last month that I was at my station, but I didn't want it to affect me on the outside. Like I wanted everyone to think that, oh no, Jackie's staying strong on the inside. I was panicking. <laughs> there, were, there were days where I had like mental breakdowns because this was going on. And the fact that I was calling my parents almost every day because I wanted to make sure that they knew I was safe. Every single day, I felt like my dad was like, you can, you can just leave there. Like, you can get on the next flight home. Like, we don't want you staying there. While Jackie's story is horrifying, it's not a story unique to her. This isn't the first time a meteorologist has had to file a restraining order. And sadly, it won't be the last. And I'm just hoping that going through that experience, that if anyone's listening who's getting into this field or has a similar story, knowing that they're not alone in that sense. Because there, there were times where I felt like, oh my gosh, I felt so alone and didn't feel secure. And, and that, that's not a way to live. That's it for this episode of In the Elements. If you'd like to hear more of these episodes, they're in the feed you're listening to now, or you can find them over at theweatherjunkies.com. Thank you to Dennis and Jackie for coming on the show. If you want to join them in sharing a story, we're always looking for stories to tell. So if you have one, 
Whether you're in your element at work or in the natural elements, send us an email at inthealementspod at gmail.com or shoot us a tweet at elementspod on Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode on a meteorologist going to the extreme to cover the weather. For myself and Becky, thank you for joining us in the elements. Yes, science!